0: Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth, consistently. I'm your host, David schreiner Khan.
1: People just didn't know that they had it in them, didn't expect to do anything. And next thing they know, they uncover some passion that they always knew was there but didn't consciously recognize. And there's no going back after that.
0: Today on episode 476 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with professor, podcast host, author, and speaker, Joshua Spodek. I'm going to ask Josh why taking initiative is so important for business success and much more. Find out more about Josh along with all of our previous episodes at SmashingThePlateau.com. Now, before we jump into this incredibly important topic with Josh, I want to tell you a little bit about how you can stand out from your competition. It's a noisy world out there. Your business is unique, and you want someone on your team who can really help you smash through the digital chaos and get noticed by your ideal customers. With the capabilities to meet all of your marketing needs, SiteHub can make your unique vision come to life. At the end of this episode, you will have an opportunity to listen to Sitehub's CEO, Sean McKay, offer you tips to help you not just compete with price, because that is a losing strategy. So make sure you listen all the way to the end to get Sean's marketing tip. And for my listeners, Sitehub is offering a free root cause finder. You can get your free copy at smashingtheplateau.com slash That's smashingtheplateau.com slash sitehub. Now let's welcome Joshua Spodek. Josh wrote the best-selling book, Leadership Step by Step. He hosts the award-winning Leadership and Environment podcast, is a professor at NYU, and blogs daily at joshuaspodek.com. Josh holds five Ivy League degrees, including a PhD in astrophysics and an MBA, and he studied under a Nobel laureate. Josh left academia to found several ventures that operated globally. He teaches and coaches leadership and entrepreneurship at at NYU and Columbia. He has spoken at TEDx, Harvard, West Point, BCG, and more. Josh visited North Korea twice, swam across the Hudson, has done burpees daily since 2011, takes 16 months to produce one load of garbage, and hasn't flown by choice since March 2016. Josh's newest book, Initiative, launched in May. Josh, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. One more speaking thing that you didn't mention was your podcast, which was one of my early ones. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it was one of my early ones, too. I don't know how many years ago it was at this point. It's been a while, yeah. Um, and uh, and it's great that we're both in New York and have gotten to know each other and be friends in addition to being colleagues and podcast buddies.
1: Yeah, we have a lot of mutual friends now, and I've been to several of your events.
0: Yeah, it's not that tight a community, but somehow we've really... we've Interacted many times. So, Josh, I want to thank you first of all for giving me an advanced copy of Initiative. Um, I read it, really enjoyed it. It's um, different than um, lots of other. I, I read tons of business books, and it's different than other books that I've seen. First of all, I'm really curious to know what prompted you to write it. Well, I was just going to say I would not have written it if I was going
1: if I expected to write anything that was already out there. And it came from a course that I teach at NYU, and if I go far enough back, I got my PhD in physics. And when I got the, when I started the PhD, I thought I was going to go into academia. And then I felt trapped. I felt like I didn't want to do, I didn't want to keep becoming a graduate student and becoming a postdoc. Physics wasn't what I, you know, the life of a physicist wasn't what I wanted to do. And I felt, well, what can I do? I can keep doing what I didn't want to do. I could go to Wall Street, make a lot of money. I didn't like that culture. I could go into industry, but that's military-industrial. And at the time, I felt like I had three options, none of which I liked. And entrepreneurship was my way out. And I started a company and that got me out of, I could create what I wanted to do in life. Now, that company, I did well in some ways, but ultimately I got squeezed out by the investors. That was a very difficult period. So I didn't have all I needed to succeed. And I went back to grad school to get an MBA. And in business school, a lot of people said they wanted to start a company. Almost none of them did start companies. So why did they, they wanted to, but, but weren't doing it. And this killed me that this opportunity was there and no one was doing it. And the number one reason why, when I asked people, why aren't you doing it? They said, I don't have a great idea. But when I talked to people who successfully started companies, and I said, is the company that, is the idea that you're going with now, what you started with? Almost none of them say yes. In fact, possibly zero said yes. It's always been iterated and changed and so forth. And that told me, It's not the idea. There's something more about the people, the team, the social and emotional skills of being able to take an idea, to create an idea and make it work and change it as necessary. And that I don't see taught. That I don't see, you know, at Columbia and NYU and Lean, you know, Lean is like the predominant way of teaching entrepreneurship, one of the ways. So if people haven't read the Lean Startup, the Lean Methodology and courses that are based on it, that stuff is very effective. But- it says at the beginning, start with an idea and start with a team. Well, if the idea is the main thing stopping people, or the lack of an idea is the main thing stopping people, they're putting up a big hurdle. Now, if you have an idea in a team, if you're an engineer in Silicon Valley and you make a bunch of apps and one of the apps starts selling, I think lean might be the best thing for you. But I looked this up and in the United States, STEM jobs, science, technology, engineering, math, are roughly 6% of jobs. And I'm not saying STEM people are the only types, you know, makers and innovators and researchers. They're not the only people who come up with ideas and have teams, but 6% is a pretty small number. If it's something like 6%, maybe 10%, it's still not very many people. There's still like 90% of the people who aren't served. And I wanted to make something for the remaining 90% of the people who I don't think are well-served to enable them to create what they want in their lives. Now I'm saying this in the terms... Of, I'm talking about entrepreneurship here, but the book, as you know, is about not just starting companies. You can start projects like a podcast, which doesn't have to be a big money-making thing, although it can be, but it could be just how you plan your, your family vacation. If you take initiative, if you, if you know how to take initiative, you can make things happen for yourself. So this is a long answer to say, I was really stuck and had no way out. And I feel like there's a lot of people who are stuck with no ways out. And there are materials out there that make it harder for them to start.
0: You know, the the interesting thing when you mentioned the lean startup, one of the concepts behind the lean startup is that you, assuming you have an idea, you create something in as minimal a way as possible so that you can get enough customer feedback to iterate on your idea, Mm -hmm. which isn't all that far off from starting with no idea. I mean, when you
1: look at the courses, the courses often have applications. Not many courses at universities have applications, but they do. And they say, what's your idea and team? I think a lot of people don't get past that to even start now to make a minimum viable product is I think a great technique. I do it. I think there's things even earlier and more minimal than that. I mean, a big thrust of mine is to create a community of people around you and get support. And that can cost nothing. And you can get very far without even having an MVP, a minimum viable product for those who don't know. And so even their steps, I think they're great steps. I think a lot of people
0: after doing mine, then go to lean. Although some people just bypass lean completely. Correct. And actually in the podcasting world, many people start podcasts, they create a community around their podcast, and then the idea for the business evolves from what they hear from the community.
1: Yeah, this happens all the time. It's just a lot of people feel like, I just don't have anything to start with. And so they don't. And I, I, I want to make that barrier as low as possible. Now, if people don't want to, that's a business. But most people want... You know, if you just want to work at some job for the rest of your life and just like retire at some, when you get older, I don't know how many companies keep people around that long. It's not going to be totally under your choice, but this might not be right for you. But if you want to take initiative to make things happen in your life, this book will get you doing it. And a lot of people feel like, well, I don't have that passion or I have so many passions. I don't really know what to act on the book. That's one of the the main hurdles I think are not the external ones. It's not funding. It's not. Do I have this technology available or so forth? It's, do I have it in me to make these things happen? And I'm not aware of entrepreneurial books or resources that address that internal part to to help you find a latent passion if you don't think you have one, or to distinguish among several if you have more than one and you can't tell which to act on. That was a real big discovery that came partly through teaching and especially through writing the book. Yeah, so what first gave you the idea that initiative was so important? Actually, when I began the book, it was going to be entrepreneurship step-by-step, step. You know, following in my first book, leadership step-by-step. Step. And it was partly looking that there was stuff out there for the, the situation I described, people with ideas and teams. And I, just something was missing. It was really writing the book that got me to distinguish or to, to generalize. Initiative is, to me, more general than entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is one application of, of Initiative. You can start a for-profit company, but you can start a not-for-profit. You can start a community organization, and it was struggling to see something. In my gut, told me there was something missing in the market. It was also a lot of my students when I teach a class at NYU. A lot of them would come in with an idea, and then they'd start with with interest. But after a little while, they'd lose that interest. If they switched to another one, the second one was always more interesting, and that first one. Even if the first one wasn't, wasn't that interesting, it revealed the skills, mostly social and emotional skills. That's what I found was really missing, was working on the social emotional skills. They can, technical skills can help if you're doing something technical, but a lot of things aren't technical. Walmart wasn't particularly technical and it's a pretty successful company. I mean, I don't like it's, what it's doing to the country isn't, is another story, but it's not really technical, nonetheless very successful. So initiative seemed to me the core issue more than
0: entrepreneurship. more It's more general and I think more applicable. So can you just walk me through a couple of the main concepts behind initiative and what's in your book? Okay. The main concepts behind what's in the book are that I
1: take an active experiential project-based learning approach to this. It is not a, here's a bunch of principles, go for it. You know, another thing that drove me to this is, you know, I, I have this column for Inc. And there's always all these stories about Navy SEALs. This is not the only thing that's there, but there's all these stories about Navy SEALs. And I guess they get a lot of clicks. Reading about Navy SEALs doesn't make you like a Navy SEALs. The Navy SEALs don't read stories about Navy SEALs. They have all this training. If you could read about it, they would read about it, and that would be all they do. But they, you know, they have that Hell Week and all that stuff. That style of learning, I think, for a performance-based, active, social, expressive, emotional, performance-based field, only learning through experience works. You can learn in principles, but Ultimately, the principles, you have to apply them. And so this book gives you a series of exercises that you'll do step-by-step. And the first one may seem, the early ones may seem a little simple, but they will get you to the next one, to the next one. And the last ones, even very advanced initiators, look at that and they think, yeah, how can you get people doing this? Well, it's advanced from the beginning, but it's not advanced relative to the one just before. And that was not advanced relative to the one just before. You take all these little baby steps and that's the main thing that's in this book is, It's a set of exercises that if you do them, it will develop in you the skills, experiences, and beliefs of an effective initiator. The principles, I put some principles in there for people to see as guideposts, but that's not the starting point. That's just kind of like milestones for you to see as you've gone past. Even if I didn't write them, if you did the exercises at the end, you'd be able to tell me the principles, even if I didn't have to, even if I didn't tell them to you. Other books, there's a lot of principles in them, which I find nice, but not particularly effective.
0: You also have some great examples of how some of your students have uh, gone through the process and created some really successful outcomes. I wondered if you could share one or two of them.
1: Yeah, they, I mean, they inspire me. The first ones that come to mind would be, this Jonathan, who is the lawyer. I'll, I'll talk about him just because he comes to mind. He's, I think he's in the first chapter, maybe second chapter. So he was a, a lawyer making really good money in New York, Ivy League education, now, I didn't know this. He went to his mentor and said, you know, I'm making good money, but it's not really that rewarding. Any advice? And the mentor said, just take a class at NYU. So he's an adult. He's gray hair. And, and he, he takes his class. He doesn't know who I am. I don't know who he is. All I know is he's just doing the exercises. And he starts working on a project, which is to help people in bankruptcy. So apparently the costs of bankruptcy keep going up. Creditors keep making it harder to declare bankruptcy. And it gets very difficult. And he decides to make a project to help them go through, I don't know, one of the chapters of bankruptcy. And in the process, he meets someone, a, um, a programmer. And that guy says, instead of meeting one-on-one, they t- decide to do something online. And now he graduates a class and he goes off. we keep in touch because we got to be friendly. And next thing I know, he's getting written up in the Wall Street Journal, in the Washington Post. He gets funded. I, this I found out when I called him up and was asking, like, I want to write about, write about you for the book gets funded by Zuckerberg from Facebook, gets funded by Eric Schmidt from uh, Google. And even though the project was just something he did for this class that he took, he got invited to go out to Y Combinator. And I guess now it's Mar- uh, April. Yeah. So he's back from Y Combinator. So he's one of the people doing a nonprofit for Y Combinator. And I wrote the book saying going through the usual channels is like, it's it's cool, but like not to make it a target. And this guy ends up not making it a target, succeeds at the highest levels. I mean, Y Combinator seems like a pretty big deal to me. And that's one of the stories. Like, even if you're not trying to do that, you can succeed in that area. Let's see, how do I put that? It's not that he wasn't trying for that. He was trying to help the customers. He was trying to build community. And it worked out. And, I don't know, Grace, she had this project. The first day of class, when I said to everyone, you're not going to write a lot of papers. You're not going to write any papers, but you're going to start something and you're going to, Uh, start a project that really matters to you and work with people that really matter to you. She later told me she almost dropped the class by the, so the the class because of that, because she was like, I didn't come here for that. I wasn't like, that's what happens after graduation, not before. So in, she started the class in September and by Thanksgiving, she had contacted a place that was like the dream place she wanted to work. And I said, she told them her idea, which wasn't yet fully formed at that point. And they said, if you come in and tell us about it and maybe you know, maybe we want to do something like that. And I said, oh, that's a job offer. And she didn't recognize that. So she goes and meets with them. And by, by Christmas break, she had met with them a bunch of times. By January, she was interning with them. By springtime, they had started her project. And there's a webpage that went up for, it was Governor's Ball. So it was GBGB, Governor's Ball Gives Back. And it was oversubscribed within a day or two. And by that summer, she was speaking at Harvard about the project that she did. That she didn't, she almost dropped the class, and now she's working at this uh, startup by uh, funded by Richard Branson, also in music. And she was really into music, and not music as a musician. She might do music as a musician, but the business of music she really liked. So she's working at so far, if you know it. And there's several other stories. It's like people just didn't know that they had it in them, didn't expect to do anything, and next thing they know, they uncover some passion that they always knew was there but didn't consciously recognize. And there's no going back after that. You can't go back to a a dull life of people telling you what to do when you can do it yourself. And just, I don't know, a dozen other stories of people like that.
0: Yeah. So so now, actually, I'd love to hear a little bit about your own personal story, Josh, because I know that you started this great podcast about leadership in the environment. Um, I know you have some personal habits that are um, environmentally friendly, shall we say? And I'd love to hear about how the principles in the book, in particular, have played into some of your own uh, your own behaviors. Yeah, I mean, the project began as it began exactly how it was my living
1: this, how to take initiative and make things happen in your life. And I realized that there was, I mean, a big turning point was when when Trump was elected. I, I suspected that he was not going to move the country in an environmental direction that I thought was the direction to go into. And I thought. There's a need for leadership here. There's, I, I looked at a lot, a lot of companies or organizations like Greenpeace and, and NRDC and uh, Environmental Defense uh, Fund and they're all doing important things, well served by them, but I thought what was missing most was leadership. In the People don't want to act on their environmental values. I mean, a lot of people say, yeah, there's a lot of pollution from flying, there's a lot of pollution from driving, but they don't actually decrease their flying. They don't actually decrease their, their driving. And and you know a lot of people say that they want to raise their awareness. And when something's front page news for years, they're aware. Anyone who gets takeout in New York City gets a huge pile of plastic. They're plenty aware of what they're doing. The question is not is, is acting on it. So I thought, what could I do? And I thought, a podcast is something I could do, following the principles of like, wh- where can I get started?" But of course, then I don't really know how to get started because I don't have a microphone, I don't have the, anything. And so I start talking to people, you included of how to get things going. And this is the exercises in the book are how specifically to talk to people, to get advice from them so that they're helpful for you. And when people give it, people listening to me now, if, if you've given advice to others, I, I bet when the person came to you for advice, you felt like, oh, good thing you asked me because I happen to know a bit about that. And after you gave the advice, I bet you felt something like, I want that person to succeed because if they succeed, it'll be partly because of my advice and you'll feel good. And that's You know, that's a lot of what the exercises do is to give you ways to speak to people, to make them feel honored that you spoke to them, and then to give you advice and want you to succeed. And you work up the ranks of important people. That's what I've been doing. You know, the last couple of speakers I've had, I had Ken Robinson, who's the most viewed TED Talk of all time. I had uh, Dominic Barton, who's a three-time global managing director of McKinsey. I've had a Super Bowl winner, an Olympic gold medalist, you know, and I'm following the principles of this, not the principles, the practices of this book to use each level to give you the skills to reach the next level and use those those level skills to get reach to the next level and so on. And each time approaching people, often with the same scripts that I use the same scripts with people when I meet them for the first time that that are in the book. Now, people, if they have an existing relationship, don't have to use my scripts exactly, but they can if they haven't done it before. It's a very easy way to get into speaking to people that you've never met before. And, you know, the results are that in my case, the external results are that I'm I believe that I'm bringing world renowned leaders to share their environmental values, to act on them and to share that they've enjoyed acting on them, because I think community will influence people more than just giving people facts and figures internally. This is the greatest thing that I've done. I mean, I think it's one of the great, arguably the greatest need that we have as a species is to change our environmental behavior. And I feel like I'm making a dent. You know, I have a long way to go, but I feel like I'm making more of a difference than almost anyone else that I know. And it certainly reinforces my personal behaviors of, as you mentioned in the introduction of, of I haven't flown, I'm in year four of not flying. Uh, it took me 16 months to fill up one load of garbage, the last, the last load. I think the next one's going to be a little faster because I've renovated my apartment. <laughs> So it'll probably be about 12 months for that one. And this TEDx talk that I gave a couple of weeks ago, a few people came up to me afterward and said this was the best talk that I'd ever seen. And that was, I was talking about my podcast, which emerged from me taking initiative in my life about something that really mattered to me, which is me doing what I've been teaching others to do. And my book shows people how to do. Now, listeners may not care about the environment, but they care about something. And, you know, some people feel like, I don't really care about anything. If you got out of bed, you care about something. You're not just lying in bed waiting to die when that comes out, when you act on it, you will love it. And there, there'll be no going back.
0: Right, and I, I also wanna emphasize for listeners that the, uh, the practices that you've described that are in the book and that you, that you live every day are practices that anybody can, can acquire and take on. And it's not just if you're trying to reach people who are world-renowned, it's if you're trying to reach everyday people who you don't know, who, are, who may be in a position to help you, then those practices can work quite well. Yeah, I applied it in my life, how it works for me,
1: and everyone will apply it for their lives as works for them. And it what you do, how you do it is pretty consistent. It's and how you apply it in your life will take in different directions. Just like if you want to learn to play piano, whether you're going to learn jazz or pop or rock, you're probably going to start off with the same scales. This is the scales of, of how to act, how to take initiative. Once you acquire this, the basic skills, you can take it in whatever direction you want. You can play piano however you want. You can improvise, you can play jazz, you can play classical. You can even go on and do things that no one's done before once you have the skills. If you don't really know the skills, it's hard to, and it feels
0: like it's a big hurdle to get started. So Josh... In lots of ways, many of the things that you have done have been quite groundbreaking, um, which you have played out as a, an author, a speaker, a podcaster, etc., a community builder. What's next for you? What's coming up in the next, uh, I don't know, year, two years? What do we have to look forward to?
1: So the TEDx talk opened up a whole new direction for me because my podcast has all been one-on-one interactive conversations. And if you listen to the podcast, you'll hear that I do this technique. You know, first I talk to the person about what makes them such a great leader Or what makes them interesting? And then you'll hear that I switched to talking about, is the environment something important to you? What does the environment mean to you? Would you care to act on something, on your environmental values? And I use this technique that gets them to, it's actually the technique in my leadership book of how to get people to share what they care about and then act on what they care about. So they're not, it's not me telling them what to do. It's not the New York Times or Greenpeace telling them what to do. It's them acting on what they care about. And then they do it for themselves. Now, all the time that I did this, all the people I spoke to was always one-on-one and interactive. A TEDx talk, when they invited me to do it, is one-to-many and non-interactive. So I couldn't, I couldn't make the second part depend on the first part because I can't hear an answer from the audience. And everyone's, if there's 200 people in the audience, plus however many people, when the video goes up, it's being edited right now, then I can't hear their answers. So I had to work really hard to make it one-to-many and non-interactive. People said they really liked it. It went really well. And now suddenly I want to make this available to audiences that aren't just one-on-one interactive. So I'm talking with a lot of other Ted people, TEDx people. I'm starting to get a lot of, I, last week, I guess I spoke to two different places on Lululemon and another private corporation that was, and it's clicking more and more. And I'm now I, I have the opportunity to speak to larger and larger groups. This has opened up a whole new door, a whole new Avenue for me. And I'll be speaking at the summit series thing in LA. They've invited me to do, I just turned down going to speak to their Mexico Tulum event because they were ready to fly me there. And I was trying to figure out a way to get the right boat. I couldn't put it together in time. So I passed on it. But now they've invited me to their Utah one, which that's a train ride. So train still pollutes a fair amount, but I'm considering that one and we'll have to work out the logistics. But there's a lot more opportunities to speak to lots of people into smaller numbers. So long answer there. Sorry.
0: Sounds great. Josh, for anyone who may want to go deeper with anything you shared today learn more about you, get in touch with you, get a copy of your new book initiative, where would they go?
1: Yeah, joshuaspodek.com is the place to go for everything. So it's joshuaspodek.com. And if you go in the right, upper right corner, there you can click to see the books,
0: for the podcast, to contact me. That's all there. Josh, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us again on Smashing the Plateau. It's been a while since you've been on, and it's great to have you back. My guest today has been professor, podcast host, author, and speaker Joshua Spodek. Thank you again, Josh, for joining us. David, it's been my pleasure. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Do you want to do a better job of smashing through the digital chaos and getting noticed by your ideal customers? I'd like to share this tip by Sean McKay, the CEO of SiteHub.
2: Don't just compete with price. This is a losing strategy. I learned this valuable lesson early on in my career. And I can remember sitting down with this potential client as he told me all of his problems. I had my consultation sheet ready and I was jotting everything down. And when I was finally ready to tell him the highest price I had ever quoted in my entire career thus far. I remember trying not to sweat. I finally spit out $3,000. And he confirmed, is it $3,000 for everything? And is this a one-time fee? And I said, yes, that's it. And he ended the meeting. I wasn't sure if I got the job or not. And as I was walking out, he said, hey, Sean, look, there's no way that you could do everything that I asked from you for just $3,000. You mustn't have the experience that you say you do. So, Long story short, this client told me that I didn't charge enough for him to believe me that I could actually solve his problems. By increasing my price, I got more clients, better clients, and less hassle.
0: Thank you, Sean, for explaining why competing on price is a losing strategy. For free resources to learn how you can apply what you've heard to your business, go to smashingtheplateau.com slash sitehub. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash sitehub. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them smash the plateau. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.